0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Thank you for gathering this morning, and thanks for bringing the church uh, into a YMCA gymnasium or bringing the church into whatever space you happen to be in. If you're joining us online, so thanks for inviting us into uh, your living room, uh, maybe your backyard, dining room table, wherever you happen uh, to be gathering. And if you're somebody that's new to CrossPoint, I uh, just want to introduce myself. My name is Jamie. It is my great uh, joy. It's my great privilege to serve one of the pastors here at Crosspoint, and uh, it's a joy and privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you all. We are, as we just, you know, we lit the candle a moment ago, we are in the third week of Advent, and so each week we are looking at these different themes that are are part of this season, and so in week one we looked at this hope that we have, last week we looked at joy, this morning we're going to talk about peace, and in doing this, what we've tried to do is kind of frame this around Uh, the two aspects of Advent. So Advent simply means an arrival, it's a coming, it's the season of waiting. And so One aspect of it is we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And so the last two weeks, we've tried to look more specifically at the second Advent when Jesus comes back and he sets everything right. And then this morning and next week, we want to look a bit more specifically, including Christmas Eve, we want to look at the first Advent of the people that waited for Jesus to come for the first time, all right? And there's overlap in these, as we'll even see in the text that we get into uh, this morning. But in this, we want to explore peace. And so I want to put before you a question this morning that we're going to wrestle through as we get into the text. is like, how do we actually experience peace? How do we discover peace, all right? Um, counterintuitively, what we're going to see in this passage is it doesn't always go the way that we think that it should. Like, I think we want peace that is just sort of light and easy. And it's like, oh, cool. Like something like, hey, let's just string up some lights and everything will be glorious. And, oh, isn't this peaceful? And isn't this beautiful? But we have to acknowledge the pain, And now, you might not have walked in this morning just ready to, like, spill your guts about everything, all right? But if we could have that conversation, whether you're here in person or online, if we could get some time, all right, in a socially distanced manner, and we're doing all that, like, what I think we would find, if we were all honest, is there is a very real lack of peace. Like, there's it's incredibly divided times. And it's always been that way, but we feel it. it's heightened in this season. And so we feel divided socially, we feel divided like obviously even just physical spacing wise, we feel a lack of peace, we feel division um, emotionally, spiritually. We feel it, and it's not just out there like in a social sense, we feel it internally. So like emotionally, psychologically, like there's this division, there's this lack of peace, there's all this disruption. And if you're like, no, 2020 has been the most peaceful year of my life. Like, please come coach us, counsel us. Like, we want to hear it from you. I'll give you the headset mic. It'll be great. But here's the reality. Like, we feel that pain. So how do we discover peace, particularly in this season? And I love the honesty of the scriptures that we're going to get into because it paints a picture and it tells us how we can discover it. But it's not the way that you and I would expect it to be. Now, what we expect it to be sometimes is is just... um, We're bombarded, aren't we, with constant advertisements, all right, and so whether you're watching something on television, or the ads are popping up on your Facebook feed, or just any, you know, you're online, there's a particular ad, and you'll see this all over the place, but maybe you've seen this, that's getting at this idea of like peace. And it's an advertisement that starts out with this family, and perhaps you've seen this one. It's an advertisement for a Volvo, all right? All right. And so this family, they're exiting, the snow is falling, and you can see them, they're kind of shutting the door as they're leaving some sort of family gathering or gathering with friends. And the dad's got one of the little kids in his arms, and the kid has fallen asleep. And the mom is going around to get in the driver's side. And he's putting the kid into the, the car seat. And then the older daughter, maybe elementary age, like is getting in on the other side, seated behind mom. And they get into the car and the doors shut. And what you see in this commercial, right, is the mom just sort of looks over at the dad. And the dad slouches, he's got terrible posture. He just slouches down in his, in his seat. And he lets out this exasperated sigh And there's just this moment, and it's just all the cues are telling you, whatever happened there was not so joyous and peaceful in that house. Like the snow is falling, and there's the Christmas tree and the lights, but they're exhausted, like they're spent. Like something has happened that wasn't all that they had hoped that it would be, and there's just this stress. And then there's this moment where the husband and the wife, they reach over and you see this play out, and they go and they hold hands there, right? by the gear, right? Like, and they're like, here's to getting through the holidays safely, all right? And so it's just sort of, oh, the, this moment. Now, listen, it's communicating, right? Like you want some peace, doesn't matter what happens externally. Like if you got family plus the Volvo equals peace and safety and well-being and the, the shalom, the flourishing of all things, all right? Now, I'm not knocking that, that car, but here's at best what it can promote and what it can provide, right? Any of these advertisements, it's, uh, it's, maybe you just think about it in, in this way, like it's just this sort of temporary tranquility. That's not real peace. Maybe they had a nice moment there in the car and it was nice that they held hands and it was nice that they could sort of, without saying a word, just know, that was hard, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, good thing we get to drive home at our Volvo, everything's gonna be okay, right? So, like, there's temporary tranquility, but there's no real lasting peace, because peace is found in a whole different way than sometimes we expect it and then the advertisers tell us our way to actually get it. So we are gonna look at the text, part of what we just read this morning, it's Luke chapter two. This is part of uh, the the birth account of of Jesus. So this takes place after he's been born. So here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If you brought a Bible, please turn there. If you did not bring a Bible, there's a great way to follow along is to get out your phone and go to cpwp.life. You swipe over to the second card and it says message notes. The text will be listed there. Anything that I put up on the screens, if there's a quote, anything that you find maybe helpful or interesting, it's all there. There's space you can type in notes. You can email it to yourself afterwards if you wanna remember some of this. And then kids, all right? You guys did a great job last week, all right? I can't tell you how amazing it was. Kids, we, there are notes that Miss Jessica, your kids' director, has put in your packet. And then those of you kids at home watching, again, remember this, you can take notes, and if you're not here in person, just email them to me, jamie at cpwp.org, and we will send you, all right, your kid's director, she will send you a little prize, all right? Now, if you're here, kids, you guys remember this last week because you guys came running at me, all right? It was like running, it was just amazing. And you guys, I think there were over 30 last week of these sheets that had filled out. The kids did a great job, so let's hear for the kids, all right, it was amazing, yes. So. I will be out there again today, all right? You come bring me your notes, all right? And we've got a, a nice little prize for you. So I wanna encourage you to follow along. You can draw some, some pictures, all right? I got some great messages last week about Jesus. I also got somebody that said, Go Blue, they wrote on there, because it's the first time you know in like 11 years that Michigan has not lost to Ohio State. We didn't win, but we didn't lose. We didn't play, all right? So anyway, somebody drew a picture of me. I'd never looked so good. Was, so thank you, kids. It was, it was great, all right? So I wanna encourage you to do that again. So now, Hopefully you're there, got your Bibles. Luke chapter two, let's pick up this story. All right, Jesus has been born. Over the next couple weeks, we're gonna work our way backwards. We're gonna go to the time before he was born. And then we're gonna look at the night that he was born on Christmas Eve. But for today, I wanna explore discovering peace by looking at Luke chapter two. And we'll pick up the story in verse 22. All right, so Luke chapter two, beginning in verse 22. 22. All right, so here's the words that we get. It says, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, got to remember Mary and Joseph, good Jewish people. All right, so there are certain rituals and practices that they would engage in. They brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And here's what's written: Every male who opens first the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right, now, let's talk for a moment. You read that and you're like, what does this have to do with Christmas? Like, what's going on here? But what I wanna put before you is this. If you and I are going to discover peace, we have to pay attention to the details that are in here because Luke is being very intentional. The one who wrote this historical account, he is trying to tell us, he's trying to clue us in on what's happening with Mary and Joseph, what's happening with this man named Simeon, who we're gonna get introduced to in just a moment, he's trying to communicate to them, he's giving insight into how we can actually experience like Christmas, the peace that Christmas brings all the time, every single day, not just in the month of December. And right away, there's this clue that you and I can probably read and be like, okay, pigeons, turtle doves, like, is that in a song somewhere? Like, what are we to do with this? But this detail is hugely important. So I got four things for you this morning about helping to answer the question. Peace comes to those, and the first thing is, who know their poverty. Because it's not just about the sacrifice that they're bringing, all right? We don't have time to get into all of it, but there were certain, again, rituals and things. And so for the mother has had this child, she's there to present the child, all right, and to say, this child, this son, my firstborn son belongs to the Lord. There's also purification for her. But there's this key phrase here. When it tells us about the sacrifice and when it says a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, this would be a clue about the upbringing, about the home that Jesus was growing up in. So let me read to you where this comes from, all right? It comes from what was probably most of y'all's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus, all right? Way back in the the Old Testament. And you get all these laws and these rituals, it can be very confusing. But there's a really important detail that's happening here. And this passage in Luke 2 is this signal. It's like, hey, it's a hyperlink. This is supposed to take you back to that, all right? And here's what it says in Leviticus chapter 12. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or or turtle dove for a sin offering. So you got two different types of offerings— He shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. Now here's the line. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Do you know what it's telling us about Jesus' upbringing for a moment? He's extremely poor. Mary and Joseph do not have the financial means to pay for a lamb. Now, the irony, the beauty, if you know the scriptures, you know, if you're familiar with some of these stories, all right, maybe you're, not, you're new to the scriptures and that is great, that is perfectly okay, but there are these little clues that are in there. I mean, how amazing that one of the gospel writers, one of the accounts of Jesus' life would say what? When he sees Jesus for the first time, when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So they can't afford a lamb, but she just gave birth to the lamb, right? Are you like you're tracking with that? Like, how amazing is that that God, as He arranges this, is like this poor couple, Mary and Joseph, they can't afford a lamb. They have to go with these two small birds, these insignificant sort of animals, relatively speaking, all right, and they have to say, This is all I can offer, and it's telling us something about their economic condition, but it's more than that. Because it's causing us to ask the question, how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as somebody that's rich or poor? And I don't just mean economically. Maybe a way to think about it is this, do you and I, do we recognize that we are bankrupt? Like we're not just middle class in spirit, all right? We are spiritually bankrupt. This means I've got nothing that I can offer to God that would make him love me. There's nothing that I can do that would say, hey, God, pick me, I'm amazing, I'm awesome, all right? You should want me on your team. What it's communicating is a complete dependence. Mary and Joseph, what it's telling us in this detail is they recognize everything is from God's hand. They don't even have a lamb to be able to bring. And God is saying, it's okay, because I'm going to give you everything. I've provided the lamb. I'm the one that's taking care of you. So for those of us, we're going to experience peace. The first thing we have to recognize is our poverty. To recognize that we're actually spiritually bankrupt. This is why just if we were to flip over a few pages, we would find in Luke chapter 6, Jesus speaks This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's also recorded in Matthew chapter 5. These are called the Beatitudes. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And for a group of people in that time, in that place who had so much of their wealth stripped away by the Romans who were suffering, who were just trying to get by for Mary and Joseph and their reality. These are words that Jesus would later speak of great comfort. But again, it goes beyond the economics. It goes beyond the paycheck. It goes beyond the bank account. Do you and I recognize that we're bankrupt, that we're, that we're poor, we're completely dependent on the Lord Jesus? In one of his accounts, C.S. Lewis, he's writing and he said, he's wrestling through this and he calls to mind this, this old Puritan, this old Scottish Presbyterian pastor, all right, that lived in the 1800s. His name is Alexander White. Hear these words, right? It's not the most cheery and uplifting sort of thing, but it's necessary if we're going to get at the peace. Because remember, it's not the Volvo commercial with temporary tranquility. We're talking about wrestling with the deepest realities of the human heart if we're going to actually experience peace. And so, Alexander White said this one essential symptom of the regenerate, that means the born again life, is a permanent and permanently horrified perception of one's natural and it seems unalterable corruption. The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. It's like, wow, put that on your Christmas card this year, right? Like, I mean, it's just, what do we do with this? But there's truth to be found. It's a, one of the things we have to wrestle through if we're gonna experience peace just understand Like there's some, there's this inner cesspool, and it's not just out there in the world, like it's in my heart. And if you're honest, it's in your heart. And how are we going to act, until this gets dealt with, how are we actually going to find peace? But there's good news, because where this story continues, well, let's look at the next couple of verses. If we're going to experience peace, we got to recognize our poverty, see the condition of our heart, And then there's a call to believe the promises. So peace comes to those who believe the promises. Look with me at verses 25 to 27. Now we get introduced, all right, to this man named Simeon. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now, it doesn't mean he was perfect, but he's trying to follow the Lord, waiting for the consolation. That means like the comfort, the provision for Israel. He's wanting things to be made right. And the Holy Spirit, it says, was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus said, do for him according to the custom of the law. And it's gonna tell us that he's gonna take up this, this child, all right? So it's a call to believe the promises. Now, we don't know how old Simeon is. Most people think he's, the details here would make you think like he's, he's pretty old, the fact that it's like, hey, he's not gonna see death before he gets a chance to see the Messiah, to see the promised one, all right? And so it just tells us like, all the time, like he, he's going, he's, he's paying attention to the work of the Holy Spirit. And somehow, some, some way, he's clinging to this promise, all right, like you might think about this, like this, this narrative exists all throughout the scriptures. If you go back to the Jewish people and their, their, the origination of it, there's a man named Abram who becomes Abraham. And God says, Abram, I want you to leave everything that you've ever known. And I want you to uproot. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. All right? And he tells him to look up, at the, uh, look up at the sky and see the stars. He's like, your descendants will be greater than that. And at the time, Abraham has no children. His wife is barren, all right? then it tells us, because the the scriptures are kind of comical as well. God, I think, has a great sense of humor. And it's like when, you know, Abraham and Sarah were like super old, basically, like they end up having a, a child, all right? And so it's just like all these incredible details. And it's this man who left everything. And guess what? It didn't happen. It wasn't fulfilled immediately. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm not good with waiting, All right. Like, how do you actually handle that? Are you, are, you, are you somebody that's like, you're good with it? Because I'm thinking about Simeon. We don't know exactly how long, but there's this patient endurance. God has made a promise. God has said that he's gonna come through, but it doesn't always mean on our timetable. If we were to keep reading, all right, Right after Simeon, there's this this woman we're introduced to. Similar thing. I'll put the words up on the screen. This is just Luke 2, just a few verses later in 36 to 38. Her name is Anna. Now look at her story. It says, there was also, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. This is the polite way of saying she's super old as well, all right? So she's advanced in years, having lived with her husband, get this, seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, so she had seven years with her husband, then he died. And just doing the math, I mean, like, so probably it's a good 60 plus years or so. Average age when she would have gotten married, probably maybe around 13, 14 years old, something like that. She's lived her life grieving the death of her husband, living as a widow all this time. But look at this. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting, in prayer night and day and coming up at that very hour she began to give thanks to god and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of israel what's it telling you she keeps going back faithfully the lord has promised the messiah the lord has promised the messiah the lord has promised that there's going to be one that's going to help me deal with my poverty of spirit he's going to help me deal with my spiritual Bankruptness, Like, this is going to happen, and she doesn't know when or how or what that's going to look like, but for year after year after year, she's just in the temple, and she's fasting, and she's worshiping, and she's praying, and she's just all in. And it didn't happen probably on the timetable she would have liked to, right? She would have probably loved to have seen the Messiah at an earlier age, but now here she is, she's 84, and she's still waiting, but the time has come. Now she's actually going to get to experience the Messiah, this is how our God works. Now one of the things in this and we'll move on to the next section but it's just so helpful. I think what this advent season does is sort of reframes our perspective, to realize that we live in this time after the first advent, after the first coming of Jesus, and still awaiting the second coming of Jesus. And so we cling to the promise. We've looked at this in depth the last couple weeks. Like Jesus promised that he's coming back. In the same way God promised that Jesus will come in the first place. Now we have been promised that he's gonna come back, he's gonna set everything right, he's gonna wipe away every tear. There's gonna be no more division, there's gonna be no more more social hostility, there's gonna be no relational hostility, psychological, emotional. Like it's all gonna be set right. Like you can bank on that. That's what the scriptures are telling us. That's what This story has been proving to us over and over again. We don't know the hour. There's just an invitation, will you trust God in this? And I know I get frustrated when I, how are you with waiting for me? I get frustrated. I get frustrated at things out in the world. But my biggest frustrations, when I'm really honest, are I'm frustrated that I'm still stuck in a lot of the same places and patterns and things that I thought I would be further along. And I get frustrated and I think it should be better. And then there's this. there can be guilt there can be shame and all of the, these things. And we need to step back and be reminded the Lord is gonna set everything right. Like we live in between this time. And if our expectation is like it should be heaven on earth right now, we are just setting ourselves up for disappointment because the second advent has, has not yet happened. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer would write these words in regards to advent. He says this, Here's how to reframe the perspective on your life. It's not to say, "Ooh, yay for suffering, but it should be expected in this time. He says our entire life is Advent, a time of waiting for a new heaven and a new earth to see peace on earth and goodwill among people. So we are called, part of peace is understanding our poverty of spirit. Part of it is embracing and believing God's promises, even when it doesn't happen according to our timetable. And then what we see in this, and this is where the story goes, if we're gonna experience peace, it actually then is embracing the Lord's provision. Because this story is so unbelievable that God would allow Simeon and he'd allow Anna to be able to see the Lord Jesus. And so embrace the Lord's provisions is the third thing we see in this text. So look with me at verses We'll pick it up in uh, 28 through 33. Um, I'll start back actually in 27. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, all right, this is Simeon, took up in his arms, took him up in his arms and blessed God, all right? Now, just for a moment, can we just stop there? I wish it gave detail as to like, He'd probably seen a lot of babies at the temple. Like, how did he know, it was Jesus wearing a onesie that says, I'm the Messiah, right? Like, I have no idea how that played out, all right? But some way, somehow, he's dialed into the spirit. He's listened to that voice. He's like, there's the one. And so he takes up this child in his arms. It's this picture of the call to embrace the provision of the Lord for you and me. Like, the Lord has provided Jesus to deal with our poverty, all right? To deal with the brokenness of, of the world. And he's asking us, will you embrace like Simeon does here? And so let's continue reading. So verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. So he's like, I don't know if I'm leaving this earth today, tomorrow, next week, next year. But I know that I've got peace now. He's embraced the provision of the Lord. He says, according to your word, which ties us back to the promises. God has been speaking his words he's faithful and he's true verse 30 for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people israel which means we can all get in on this the jewish people embrace the provision of the lord and the messiah that is jesus and be saved to the gentile population most of us in this room embrace the provision of the Lord and you'll be saved things will be set right you can bank on it the promises of the Lord they're for you will you embrace that and verse 33 just tells us this I love this picture I would love to just see Mary and Joseph because it tells us and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him Apparently, they're not freaking out that a complete stranger has just scooped their child up in his arms, all right? Um, so forget that for a moment. They're just marveling. They're like, this dude is praising God, like this baby, now Mary would have remembered and Joseph would have remembered the things that the angel has communicated, but I, I have to wonder if they were just like, yeah, but I mean, this, it's just a little baby right now. And Simeon comes up and he scoops up this child. He's like, I have seen the salvation of the Lord. Can we talk for a moment the humility there? A grown man comes in, picks up this baby, and is like, this is my savior. I mean, how crazy is that? The humility to say, I can't save myself, I can't deal with my poverty of spirit, my spiritual bankruptness, but this child right here, I can depart in peace now because of this infant. He's embracing the provision of the Lord. There's a call for us to embrace the provision of the Lord. It's the only thing that's going to give us peace. Now, I don't know if you would remember this particular show even or a particular clip. I, this came to mind this week. I was, I was preparing and I was, I was looking back even over some previously. Christmas messages and things and texts and just studying this stuff over the over the years and I and I came across something that in the very first year we hadn't even launched as a church yet, all right. We were forming a core group of people and it was around this same time of the year, all right. And I remember showing this particular clip to a group of maybe 15 or, or 20 people. Some of you were part of that original group, so thank you for continuing to be here, right? Um, and so maybe you would remember this because I'm sure you took copious notes, and it was life-transforming, and you've never forgotten anything that I've ever said. But in case you might Need a refresher. And in case maybe this is new to you, it comes from this show. Maybe some of you watched it back in the day called ER. Anybody remember this show? Right? Okay. And in this particular scene, there's this amazing dialogue that's gut-wrenching and it's it's hard to watch. I want to just read to you part of what took place, kind of this this transcript of this dialogue. But here's here's the scene, all right? Um, and so you see this picture, and this man is there in the hospital bed, and the the back of the head of the, the, this woman that, that you see, she is a chaplain that has been called in because the man is like, I need somebody to speak truth to me. I need somebody to bring some comfort. And one of the lines is he said, I need someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness. And if you were to watch the whole episode, you would know this, that the man there in the hospital bed, a couple of things. He's a doctor. And for part of his career, he served as a doctor in the prison system, and he had the responsibility, part of his role was when an inmate would come up on death row and needed to be executed, and it was that person's time, he was the one that would administer the lethal injection. Okay? And he's telling this story, and he's just racked with guilt because what ended up happening is the, one of the men that this happened to, they found out years later was innocent. And so this man now is there in the hospital bed. He's dying of cancer. He has no idea how much time he actually has left. And he's just like, "I don't know what to do with this guilt. I don't know what to do with this shame. I don't know if there can be forgiveness for me." He's like crying out for salvation, but he doesn't know how to get it. And so he calls in. the only thing you can think of, he's like, "Well, the hospital has a chaplain, right? And so they bring in this, this particular woman. Now here's the dialogue. And the whole thing is worth watching. You can search on YouTube and, and find, the, find the clip, but not right now, all right, but later, okay? So he's getting very animated. He's getting super frustrated at her because she's embodying the spirit of the day that peace comes just however you want to make it, however you want to achieve it, whatever path you want to take. And so there's this dialogue between the dying doctor and the chaplain let me read this to you. The dying doctor says, I don't want to go on. Cause she was just trying to encourage him. Like, oh, you've got life. He's like, I don't want to go on. Can't you see I'm old? I have cancer. I've had enough. The only thing that's holding me back is that I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what comes next. chaplain, what do you think that is? The dying doctor. You tell me, is atonement even possible? What does God want from me? Now remember, this is network television. This is just crazy that this actually happened, right? The chaplain, well, I think it's up to each one of us to interpret what God wants, the dying doctor. So people can do anything. They can rape, they can murder, they can steal all in the name of God and it's okay. Well, that's not what I'm saying, says the chaplain. Well, what are you saying, says the dying doctor, because all I'm hearing is some new age, God is love, one size fits all nonsense. I don't have time for this now. The chaplain says, I understand. And he says, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. How could you possibly say that? He says, no, you listen to me. I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell. And the chaplain says, I hear that you're frustrated, but you need to ask yourself. No, I don't need to ask myself, he says. I need answers. And all your questions and all your uncertainty are only making things worse. I know you're upset. She says, God, I need someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness because I am running out of time. What is happening in that scene is a man who is desperate, a man who has come to the realization that I'm spiritually bankrupt, I don't know how to deal with this, my time is short, I want peace, I don't have it. And all of this stuff out there that's like, all right, you just be true to yourself and you make your own truth and all right, and like you find your own peace and your own path and everything leads to the same place. He's like, I don't buy it. As Pastor Eric even started our service today, there is a very exclusive aspect to Christianity. Jesus is I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Nobody finds salvation, nobody finds peace apart from me. And yet, it's the most inclusive thing possible, because it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what things have been done to you or the things that you've done to other people, it doesn't matter what has happened, if you would embrace the Lord Jesus, like Simeon, to embrace him, take him up like in your arms, that sort of picture, and say, I humble myself, I'm poor in spirit, and this is the savior? Because the story isn't that it just stays a cute little baby. The storyline of the Bible is that this baby would live a sinless life that you and I could never live but were called to live. It's a story of one who would actually honor the father all the way by going to the cross. So J. I saw J.I. Packer, the theologian, talked about this as he asked us to consider this. Like, have you embraced the Lord's salvation? Packer writes, this Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon. Hope of peace with God. Hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable. So that what? So that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. And it is the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or will hear. In this season, it's easy to just say, oh, let's got the little nativity scene. Let's have that. Let's celebrate the incarnation. But let's also realize that this story of how God is going to save a ruined humanity, and not just in the abstract, but how he's going to save you and how he's going to save me, Is what it would cost this baby when simeon says my eyes have seen the salvation of the lord he's speaking more truth than he even knows because this is the one who would ultimately die in our place who would conquer satan's sin and death who would conquer hell by rising again three days later and so the last thing that we have to see here and this is what gets us into I think the unfortunate message that's kind of like, you know, temporary tranquility. Give me the lights, give me the presence, give me all that, and that. Man, I'm all for that, right? There's no Grinch sort of stuff going on here. Like, I'm all for that stuff. But let's also recognize that it can be a massive distraction to just kind of get this feeling, this emotional response of like, oh, everything's glorious and realize, yeah, but we need to go deeper. And this passage, ends. it takes us deeper, it takes us to a place we probably don't even want to go, but if we're going to experience peace, we have to face pain. And this is the words that are spoken. Look with me, verses 34 to 35, as we look at the concluding interaction with Simeon. So Simeon's blessing God, he's praising God. Verse 34 tells us this, and Simeon blessed them. And then he has a specific word to Mary. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now there's a ton in there and we don't have time to get into all of it. But what's happening here is Simeon is speaking these words, inspired by the Spirit, and it's this call, like, if we're, peace comes to those who actually face pain, who realize all that the Christmas message is talking about, all that the first advent is talking about. Because he's telling Mary, you're holding this child, and he's cute, and he's amazing, and there's been amazing promises about this one. But there's going to come a time, your very heart is going to be pierced with a sorrow that you can't even fathom. And we don't want to hear that. I don't think that's a common, I don't know that this, even these verses get typically preached. It's like, can we go back to like happy, like angels and shepherds and ah, right, wise, wise men. And we'll do some of that. But we have to see this. In his book, Hidden Christmas, Tim Keller talks about this particular interaction. Hear these words, because there's a truth, I think, that we, we may not always wanna recognize, but I think deep down we know this is true. He says this, "'Both the secular and church celebrations of Christmas "'focus almost entirely on sweetness and light. "'They are all about how the coming of Christ "'means peace on earth, and certainly it does, "'but it's not that simple.'" So he asks us to consider a couple of things. How does a surgeon bring peace to your body if it has a tumor in it? Well, the surgeon spills your blood, cuts you open because that is the only path to health. How does a therapist help a downcast, depressed person? Well, often she does it by bringing up the past, getting the patient to confront painful memories and terrible feelings. So the surgeon and therapist often have to make you feel worse before you can feel better. There's a pain in Christmas. And I don't just mean like the stress surrounding it. It's calling us to consider the pain that speaks of that Mary would face, but then also ultimately the pain that Jesus himself would face. Because the pain is real. I mean, if we were reading the, the, the account, there's this interaction here in John 19. Look at this. Jesus is hanging there on the cross. But standing by the cross of Jesus were what were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, standing nearby he said to his mother, woman behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Now think about this. Her baby boy, the one Simeon had held in his arms is now stretched out arms nailed to a cross, feet nailed to a cross, people mocking, sign above his head that says the king of the Jews. And it looks like evil is having the final say. It looks like evil is going to triumph. It looks like Jesus, everything that he said that he could do and the the promises, like apparently he was a liar, he was a fraud, he was weak. You have to imagine for a moment, like Mary, the words were coming true, were they not? Her heart was pierced. The one that she had given birth to, the one that she had nursed, the one that she was around when he spoke his first words, when he took his first steps, the one that she comforted. I mean, all of these things. And Jesus, in his kindness, looks at her and makes sure that there's going to be arrangements that she would be well taken care of. Because Joseph, by this point, has died. He's not in the picture. And he says, John, I need you to take care of my mom. And so he gets this right. And that's amazing. And that's beautiful. But there's something deeper that's going on. There's something far deeper, that the actual comfort and peace that Jesus is bringing his mother Mary is not just in the arrangement of her earthly needs being taken care of by John. In the counterintuitive upside down way of God's kingdom, what is bringing Mary peace is the very thing that is piercing her soul right now. Her soul is being pierced as she sees her son suffering and dying. And it's in that place that Jesus, it's unbeknownst to her at the time, but Jesus is actually bringing her peace. He's becoming the sacrifice, not only for Mary, but for you and for me. And so the peace that we're offered, we have to recognize the pain that is involved. This is why the writer, uh, this is why the prophet Isaiah would speak these words hundreds of years before, speaking of Jesus and his sacrifice. He says he was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Mary's heart was pierced, but Jesus was ultimately pierced for her transgressions, my transgressions, your transgressions. The sword that should have fallen upon you and upon me fell instead on Jesus. We've seen the salvation of the Lord. Have you embraced that provision? Are you celebrating that provision? Do you see that this is the story that we're part of? Have you wrestled through these things? Don't go through this Christmas season without contemplating these amazing, they are hard truths, but it's only as we journey into that will we actually experience peace because here's the beautiful thing. We're not promised until Jesus comes back to things are gonna be easy and light and cheery and just sweet all the time, are we? we? We know that. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you know the reality of the world. So how do we endure? And it's only when we see what Jesus has done for us does it allow us to have a stabilizing peace that's not dependent on circumstances. When we see the love that he had for you, that he was cut off so that you and I could be brought in as sons and daughters. We were enemies of God, the scripture tells us, and now because of the work of Jesus, we're regarded as family, we're friends, we're close. It's what our hearts long for. We get a seat at the table. And when our heart is gripped by that, we are able to have a peace that is not dependent upon circumstances. So I want to close with this. And I really do mean close, not in a preacher way that's like, I need to close. I got 20 more minutes, like really close. But the worship team's going to come back. And part of our preparation for participating in this communion meal that we'll do together is we're going to sing a song. And it's a, it's a song that many of you are familiar with, but I want to make sure, and some of you may already know this, but I want us to know the history behind the words that we're singing we're going to sing a song that's called It Is Well and it's going to speak of peace. It's written by a man here put his picture up on the screen named Horatio Spafford. And here's a couple things you should know about Horatio Spafford who wrote this hymn that we're going to sing in a moment. A couple of key dates 1871 and 1873. He was a successful lawyer, successful real estate like developer in the day in the Chicago area. But in 1871, he lost, he had several children. He had one son. His son died tragically when his son was four. So in 1871, he loses his son. A few months later, the Chicago fire happens. Burns down a significant portion of the city, and in particular burns down most of the real estate development, real estate investments that Spafford had invested so heavily in and he loses everything. So he's lost his son, he's lost his his financial standing, he's lost his security as far as that goes. In 1873, he's got his wife, his four daughters, and he's like, we need some time away. And so he puts together whatever resources that he has, he's trying to get his business going in, and they're gonna take a trip, they're gonna sail across the sea, and they're gonna take a Europe vacation as a family. And like the day before they're ready to go, something with his business comes up and he's like, I have to attend to this. I will put, so he puts his wife and his daughters on this particular ship, all right? And he says, I'll get the next one out. I just got to take care of this. You know all the reality of like our business. We're trying to start back up. We're not in a good spot. I need to take care of all of this. And so he, he puts them on this ship. And tragically, that ship is struck by another ship. And within 12 minutes, 220 some people perish, drown, bottom of the sea and a few days later he gets a telegram that says from his wife that's saying I I'm the only one that has survived of our family so within a two-year period of time he loses his son he loses his financial security his business his investments and now he's lost his daughters and his wife is on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean apart from him and so he gets on the very next vessel that he can to sail over there A captain comes to him in the middle of the night and tells him, sir, this is the general location, the general area of where the ship sunk. And it's in that moment, you can go and see the the picture of where his hand scribblings, that he got out a pen and he got out a piece of paper and he began to pour out his soul and write the verses that became the hymn, It Is Well. This is the context for words such as when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He would continue, he would write, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ, Christ hath regarded my helplessness, he knows his poverty, and hath shed his own blood for my soul. He embraced the provision of God. He's sad, he is grieved, But he knows the peace of God in the midst of circumstances. He would write of the second advent. And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. And even so, it is well with my soul. So I want to invite the worship team. They're going to come back up. Let me pray for us, church. During this time, when you're ready, please come up. If you're a follower of Jesus, come up. Grab one of the elements for communion. If you're at home, please get the elements ready. After we sing this song, I'll call us back on how we're going to partake together. And maybe you feel like singing. Maybe you feel like staying seated and, and praying. Maybe you just want to reflect on this. It, whatever you want to do. But let's consider how true peace is found. And thank God for his provision of his son, the Prince of peace, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness and your grace toward us. Thank you that we can have a peace that is not dependent upon circumstances. That we can cry out, that we can be angry, we can be sad, we can be frustrated. That you can handle all that, and and God, that you can grant us a, a peace because of the work of your Son. So Jesus, we thank you for the pain that you endured. We thank you for the sword that you endured one that, would, that pierced your side so that we wouldn't have to be pierced, that you were pierced in our place. And so God, we give you praise for that. We thank you, Jesus, for your work. And God, I pray that in the time that we have remaining here, God, that your Holy Spirit would be applying just gospel comfort. There's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of pain. We all long for more peace than what we have. And so Holy Spirit, let us hear from you, remind us of the truths of the Scripture. Remind us that we belong to you. God, I pray for any here this morning that don't know that they, if they belong, God, I pray that the day today would be the day that they trust in you, they embrace your provision, they choose to walk by faith and not by sight. So, God, be honored and glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen.